Hello filmmakers, you're very welcome to episode number 48 of FNI Rap Chat with myself, Paul Webster, today. Um, so Paul is very busy working on his event this Monday, the 18th of February. Uh, it's a, a networking event for the Storyland, RT Storyland. So they they have announced uh, the deadline for uh, 2019's edition of Storyland which is the 13th of March. So this event will be great for anyone who wants to give it a go this year. It's a networking event and also there is going to be a panel and a Q&A with um, members of the filmmaking community here who've had experience with Storyland. So people like Gavin Ryan, uh, who was a writer on Flow last year. Uh, you also have previous winners like Keen McGarrigal and Jana Camperman. And I think Colin McKeown is going to be emceeing that. And there'll be more people there as well. So uh, it's selling out really quickly. I think there's already been 50 tickets sold. So if you want to get along, and um, book your place now. Uh, it should be a really good evening. So that's um, Monday the 18th of February. Uh, so yeah, it's feeling a lot like spring, which means it's uh, diff time. So um Get your get your program and start marking off what you want to go and see. Uh, Mia Malarkey, who's a previous guest, she has a new film that she made with a bunch of young students from Dublin Eight. It's about the homelessness crisis, and that's screening as part of the Dublin On Screen Strand, which is in the Lighthouse on the twenty second of February at six thirty. I think there's going to be another screening on the first of March as well. So, and then today's guest is actually opening the festival. Uh, on the 20th of February so that's John Butler's Papi Chulo uh, can't wait to see this film he talks about it um, it gives such an amazing description of it uh, all shot in LA with an Irish um, crew and uh, just sounds like a wonderful story so if you want to get along to that there, there are two screenings uh, on that on that day I think one is at 6.30 and one is at 9 and uh, apparently tickets are selling very fast so if you want to get along to that so yeah he, uh, brilliant really um, insightful and lovely conversation with John Butler Hello. 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 Welcome to the studio. John Thank Butler. you. Uh, I'm surrounded by butlers, actually. There's a couple of butlers here today, yeah. But there's two Pauls, isn't there? There's two, two Pauls, Pauls and two butlers. <laughs> but there's two Pauls and a John. Yeah. <laughs> so we could call it either way. Let's Paul, just see how it goes. There's been no Pauls or Johns born since 1997. You're joking. <laughs> Where? In the whole world? No, it's just it's not <laughs> that common. But we'll make a comeback. Well, I think the Pope might have had something to do with <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was uh, one of the... Were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think they were kind of switched on by that, the folks. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, anyway. everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Film Network Ireland Rap Chat uh, with the two Pauls and John Butler. So you're in that period, the film is made, you're waiting for the release. Yeah. Have you moved on to the next thing, or what mode are you in? Well, it's weird because the next thing uh, is done, uh, it, it's, it is written, and okay. is now looking for finance and development okay. and all that. And, and so that's kind of at a moment where... There's not a whole lot that I can do uh, to help that along either. So I'm developing some other bits and pieces. The next, next thing. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's always six or seven things floating around in the ether, you know, at any given time. So, but what I imagine the next thing might be 
is not being worked on. So, okay, okay, yeah. cool. And that's a money thing as much as anything. It's just you know, having finished one thing, you need to keep the yeah. wheels turning. Yeah. It's just ever present, as you know. So, so like, do you did you get to take a break after shooting after finishing Papi Julio? I did. I did. I, I I took a decent break. I always take a break after shooting and before editing because I'm usually just physically uh, destroyed. So. And then after the uh, picture lock, I, I went away for a couple of weeks and had a, about a month maybe of not working at the outset of the sound mix because that's seven odd weeks worth of work. And for the first four weeks, it's laying up tracks and doing bits and pieces that I'm not needed yeah. for. Yeah. So then, you know, the first film I did, I sat in through all of that like an idiot. Really? Oh. Yeah. And the sound engineer would turn around to me and go, how does that, how does that, uh, how does that uh, magpie sound? <laughs> in the background and I'd be like I, I'm a little worried that it's too high like I'm having deep conversation and then I realised John you're not you're not pushing this thing along yeah. and creatively that's not good yeah. work yeah, yeah. yeah and what am I doing here what am I doing here yeah exactly I often see filmmakers sitting with composers um, and, I wonder, and I wonder how the composers feel about it yeah do you know what I mean because yeah, like yeah. composing for a film is something that the composer should have a run at possibly <laughs> but they don't need me going like the oboe feels yeah. very aggressive you know so yeah, yeah. Um, so sorry the short answer is yeah uh, holidays uh, where possible but your one's anxieties about the thing are still so live that like even if you're taking a couple of weeks off you know while the sound mix is at that early stage you're still fretting about it and maybe they're sending bits and pieces across to you and yeah. and you're thinking about the grade and you're th you know all that other stuff so yeah. managing your anxiety is kind of you know a tricky one yeah and then I I guess the most anxiety-inducing, or one of the most anxiety-inducing parts, must be when the film actually comes out. How do you? Or is or, or is that or is, for, it, is that yeah. the case for you? Or is it very much a case of I've done all I can do? It's know? kind of yeah. It's kind of a two-part answer because yes, of course, like you have to believe enough in 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 what you're trying to achieve to know that when you've finished making it, mm -hmm. that achievement has been attained. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to say this in my voice. I wanted to make this type of film, and I've done so. But I think you'd be lying if you said that it, putting it in front of an audience isn't another really important part of it in terms mm -hmm. of, like, obviously the, the validation. But also, <laughs> I don't think films really exist fully unseen in the sense that the audience's reaction and being in that space with the audience when they're watching it is the experience of almost filmmaking in a way. You mm. know, it, how they're received tells you so much about um, every little aspect of it that you've been working on, including the volume of the magpies. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's before Toronto is always uh, tough because you know all the trades are there. And uh, and this time, because Papi Chulo was a special presentation, there was more uh, focus on it than with the previous two films. Um, so, yeah, it's stressful. But the good thing as well is that you have uh, producers and cast and some family and some friends there. Mm -hmm. And there's always drinks or whatever, dinner the night before and everybody's excited and you kind of coast along on all the practicalities of being in the city and you're meeting other filmmakers and running around and it does help you forget for you know bits and pieces that yeah. something it's you know, a safe space yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah so but it went well it went really well this time so it was good cool um when did it dawn on you first that you wanted to be a writer director um i always uh, was some kind of a writer i think uh well, in, in school days, you write because you have to. but um, And then in college, you write because you have to, I suppose, as well. And after leaving college, your personal computers are still too expensive to buy for mm. tooling around with. Yeah. So 
I was writing in notebooks, but I wasn't sure what form it was taking. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't really probably until my mid to late 20s that I'd started to clarify in terms of, you know, the effort, if not the result. Uh, so I'd say, yeah, mid 20s, maybe. Um, okay. But Filmmaker you, was, was right. to do with the arrival of the multiplexes in Ireland, I will say, because also as a gay person, I didn't feel like, you know, my, my tastes are uh, comedic or com- you co- somewhere along the comedy drama spectrum. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't see any um, filmmakers that were speaking to me or about me uh, when I was growing up. Mm. And I would go to the multiplexes when the UCI and Tala opened. That was somewhere I used to go, like, mm. with mates three or four times a week. And yeah. this is like the era of, like, the... Uh, you know, big budget indies like Miramax generation, yeah. uh, plus all, all all the great kind of studio films that were made then, like you know, Misery and uh, Terminator Two, like films like yeah. that that were <laughs> super commercial. You'd be amazed how many times Terminator Two over the last five podcasts for has some come reason up. it's come up. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like a, a, a an interesting moment in like modern cinema because it, it, it was it had such credibility, yeah, and such reach, like simultaneously. It was a hit, and it was a big movie, and it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was like a one time and empathetic. It was an empathetic movie as well. Empathetic and really smart, but also I suppose was for the time a tentpole film, mm. in the sense that it was like a piece of IP that was being remade. Yeah, mm-hmm. that had a bit huge star, but it didn't feel like that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So anyway, that that's when I started thinking about films. I actually remember going to see Glen Gary Glen Ross in the UCI and Tala. Right. The film, uh, obviously, version of that, and looking at it and going, "This is a film. Why is this a film?" This is amazing. I love it. But why is it a film? And that really sparking something in my head. And then, you know, the next day you go see Point Break. Yeah. And you'd be like, this is also a film. Yeah. And yeah. by that point, you're like, I just want to get involved in this somehow, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. But I suppose back then it was like uh, there was Jim, you know, Sheridan and uh, and, uh, and Neil Jordan, I suppose. And then not a whole ton of other people mm. doing it. So it did feel like a very distant thing. Yeah. It felt otherworldly. It's it like I, There's no way into this. Yeah. Yeah. And there weren't any gay filmmakers in that space. Okay. You know, there was, you could see Derek Jarman films, of course, yeah. mm. but it was necessarily marginalised. Yeah. So. And, and were I, those films hmm? coming to, to, were those films, those kind of new queer films of the 90s, were they, were they even shown in Ireland? No. No, they weren't. And, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I might get the, the, the dates and the years slightly wrong yeah. here, but the IFI opened in 91, 92. Mm-hmm. That started things happening. There had been a, an, an, an incarnation of the lighthouse on Middle Abbey Street prior That's to right, that. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there was there was ways, but it was hard to find uh, indie films. Uh, and occasionally the screen, which is now gone as well, used to show things. So yeah, yeah. It, it was different then. But um, but there was also, I will say, a personality type attributed to the director back then, which grew out of the sixties, which is like the megalomaniac, very high personality, very alpha, very dominant. Um, insanity being cherished as a form of creativity, like um, re- really irresponsible in terms of budget and loggerheaded with the financiers. Yeah. And that type of personality and the type of film that came from that personality, I just couldn't, I, I felt so far removed from it right. that I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to be that person. Yeah. Because uh, stupidly, I thought that's what you have to be. Right. But you know, I think when you're young, you look at role models or you look at, you look for a role model and then you think that there's no other way to be and that's wrong but uh, yeah so it felt like a really distant uh, thing mm. to try and go for right and so well when did you realise that actually this is something I could do it was very gradual I left college in 94 I think and moved to San Francisco and I got a job in a TV company a small little TV company as a runner on okay. a, uh, which was building 
uh, furniture and delivering post and doing bits and pieces like that. And yeah. after a year, I started to make little stories for uh, a TV show that they that they did, and that's where it began. That's when the like the work of some shape form although I wouldn't like to see those stories now <laughs> but like it was getting on air yeah on right, a yeah. TV show in yeah. America so that was when I was like okay I, I can think I think I can continue to do this and uh, and keep going but like that was 1995 okay so yeah it's a long road yeah um, but that must have been you know was America at the time it was somewhere that you you could still the have new that frontier, yeah, the yeah, new yeah, frontier. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. For, and London can often be for filmmakers because there's mm. always, you know, there's that idea that no one will take me seriously mm. in this country. Nobody will take me seriously unless I go somewhere else yeah. and I do something substantial and I bring that home and I go, there you go. Oh, There's yeah. my pass card. But then the uh, flip side of it is that you trade so much on your Irishness when you're away. Right. <laughs> that you're kind of, you know, it's almost like you're part of the problem. I think. Uh, but I remember going to San Francisco in, during that time. The game was being filmed there. Oh yeah. And oh. Basic Instinct had been filmed there a few years before. And there was also a dreadful film called Jade that had um, Charles Palmentary in it. Do you remember that? Uh, it ring a bell? Yeah. But I remember seeing a scene with Charles Palmentary uh, filming on the street in in North Beach and being like, "This is yeah okay. It's not L.A." Yeah. But I didn't want to go to L.A. because, <clears> you know, I'd been to San Francisco before and I was like, this is closer to what I'm trying to find. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I actually remember Nash Bridges used to be filmed there. Do you remember that TV show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don Johnson. You yeah. were very drunkenly queuing up to say hello to Don Johnson at like four in the morning while he was shooting. <laughs> yeah, he had his PA was holding an umbrella over him and it was outside a strip club. It was lashing rain. And I can remember queuing to go up and, and shake his hand. And when I got to the top, I realised I actually, I didn't have anything to say. So I just wordlessly shook his hand <laughs> and left. <laughs> I think he was like, what's that guy? What's that guy's deal? Bye. Is he going to murder me? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And then did you, were you there for a couple of years? Yeah, I was there for four years. Okay. And then I, I, I kind of had a, a moment of clarity about how hard it is to raise finance for anything in the US. You mm. know, we're blessed over here and we were about that point with the Irish Film Board, now Screen Ireland. So mm. the logical thing for somebody who's fortunate enough by accident of their birth to have access to that money is to come home and, and to try and make shorts and yeah. try and get into it. I had, I had uh, gone to Las Vegas and made a documentary or started to make a documentary about the World Series of Poker okay. in 1998, nine. Again, I can't remember the date exactly, but... I went home on the, in the making of that, I moved back to Ireland and uh, we got completion money from uh, RTE and uh, oh, wow. Channel 4 bought it and it broadcast. And then I, st I started to uh, try and get some film board money for shorts. Okay. Mm. And where had you, were you a poker player? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, it was my friend Luke McManus who produced it. I don't know if you uh, know Luke, but uh, yeah. he's a good producer and a nice guy. But he, um, a friend of a friend of his was a professional poker player and so we struck a deal with him to follow him as he competed in the World Series. And in 1990, let's say nine, first prize was $1 million. There was no under-table cameras. Like, it was before that whole right. evolution and it was in a marquee out the back of Binion's Casino, which is on Fremont Street, like, off the strip. Okay. And it was really shady. Right. Like, cowboys and hustlers and... Right drug dealers and pimps and people with guns. Legit. And then, the sounds of it. And then, and then two <laughs> absolute greenhorn Irish guys yeah. wandering around the table going, can I talk to you about that uh, pair of tens that you had before the flop? You know, so <laughs> real uh, greenhorns, but yeah. we traded heavily on our Irishness and uh, managed to get some great interviews. And mm -hmm. Donico D ended up being the star of it, you know, the famous Irish uh, professional poker okay. player. Yeah. But so that was a, an hour-long documentary that was in 1999 and... Uh, 
And that was a little springboard to something. You know, yeah. there's a sense that I can do this again in some way. Yeah, yeah. And being at the helm mm. of a project, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, and writing, were you writing all in that, during that time? Yeah, not, not very bad stuff, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the key to my kind of creative unlocking was coming out, and that happened uh, slightly later than that point. And until then, I was writing stories about people who wanted to disappear, which right. has a very obvious kind of literal mm. transposition in terms of where I was. And as soon as I acknowledged that uh, kind of elephant in the room and moved towards kind of fully being myself, <clears throat> then I became uh, interested in writing about the truth or, or trying to move towards the truth I I in some way creatively. And mm -hmm. uh, and almost immediately, my writing efforts began to be rewarded, right. which is interesting. You know, like the um, I started a blog, which uh, led to a weekly column in the Irish Times uh, and got some shorts made. And that all started to happen then in fairly quick order. So yeah. it, it's uh, it's an interesting thing, I think, to reflect upon you know, the value of, of uh, you know, some kind of authenticity, I suppose, or some kind of, like, emotional truth, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is to say that I don't think you have to write about your life, but I think you have to write about what you feel, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it, that can be any character in the world, you know. It can be a cop or a robber, but, it, could, it you know, by virtue of the fact that you're also a human being, yeah. you have to put your feelings into it, so. Mm. Yeah. And how did you when when you when you came back proper and you're like okay right now I'm gonna go for this? Did you find your way through the advertising space? Did you go into advertising? Yeah. Or how was that for you early on? I always kind of forget that. <laughs> but yeah. I, yes, I did. Did you? Yeah, okay. I did. I, 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 well, there's three things that happened. I got a job in TV three. Mm -hmm. Three, two, three. three. Uh, <laughs> during the launch, we can say that now because they're no longer TV3. They don't do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So that during the startup phase of TV3, I got a job there as a promo producer. Okay. okay. Which is like the best job you can get if you want to be a filmmaker, because you're making thirty second, yeah. sixty second trailers. You're using your music collection. Yeah. You're telling a story. You're watching films for work and taking out the best bits and putting them together. Right. Yeah. It's an education. Making it stylish. Uh, yeah. If you can. Yeah. Yeah. And you, we were given great latitude to do things that didn't have voiceover. Or or they didn't have music, we mm -hmm. could do little shoots, we could shoot on film. Just your own creative license to just off you go, lads. Yeah, like you get a brief, which is to say, like, here's this film, like, say, Heat, you know, here's mm -hmm. the, how do you sell Heat to women? Right. You know, how do you sell Heat to 18 <laughs> to 40 year old women? Like, Heat would be generally acknowledged as a very blokey yeah. film, like it's De Niro and Pacino and Guns, and it's Michael Mann as well, mm -hmm. so it's yeah. very cool and pale blue and grey. And that wouldn't be traditionally uh, perceived as a, as, a, as a film for women. But then the brief would land on your desk. We want to try and get the <laughs> female audience to this. So you're like, okay, yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a really interesting exercise because you kind of then really start to interrogate what music does and, mm. and what grading does and, and what aspects of a film can be brought out and, and what other ones can be left to recede into the background. Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't make any argument that you're selling an accurate representation of what that film is, but that's kind of the deal with advertising. You know, okay. you're kind of targeting a, a certain type of person. Spin, interesting. Spin, yeah. And did you do actual ads at all? Yeah. So then I, I, I did a, a short stint doing the same thing in RTE, and at that point uh, was getting asked to do some ads. So then I, w I went freelance in 2003 or two, yeah. and from that point on I was doing ads. And uh, times were good, and there was money was being spent on that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't uh, but I never I have to be honest and say that I never really nailed um, advertising in the way that I might have hoped uh, yeah. 
I'm still represented for ads in Ireland. Okay. So that's not off the table, but it's just not. Mm. But back then, there was mo- there was uh, good uh, ads on TV, I thought. Mm. Uh, and like you say, there was good money. Mm. Um, I mean, Lenny made a ton of ads back then and made lots of those Carlsberg ads that became famous. And yeah. So there was really good work going on. And I did make a lot of ads uh, in that point. And then things started to change and a couple of my reps went away and were replaced and this and that. And then I realized that I wanted to go back to, um, start going back to America and push harder on the film front. Okay. So I started to do that and yeah. do an ad here and there. But I then, at that point, I was starting to go to LA more. And okay. So, yeah. And was that trying to get funding for project for projects that you'd written? It was kind of, uh, yeah, I was trying to develop some bits and pieces and I was looking to get represented over there. Uh but actually, as I was doing it, and this is all the wisdom of like retrospect, but as I was doing it, that model of film writing was slightly changing as well. Like that was the era of spec scripts selling mm-hmm. out of the gate for like six figures. And I was thinking, I can well want a piece of that. You know, so that's yeah. what I, that, my thought process was there. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that model was starting to disappear already. Mm. You know, I mean, back then Netflix was a DVD delivery service in the post. So it hadn't fully transformed, but you could see already that the market for those type of scripts was disappearing and that yeah. the the um, kind of tentpole thing mm. was starting to happen. The middle was not went. Exactly. Mm, yeah. The middle, which would have been traditionally, I would say, the most fertile area for spec mm. script sale and development was starting to go away. But also, to be fair, I hadn't made a feature, so I was kind of slightly jumping the gun and yeah. LA was just somewhere that I really enjoyed being. So I would go there for four months and live and write and work and then come back and do an ad or do some other work and then go back out again and yeah. did that happen for a while. How different is it shooting a film in Los Angeles or the States or California even and here in rainy old home? Yeah, the biggest difference <laughs> and you've alluded to it in, in, in Ireland you're trying to get light into the thing. Yeah. Like you're doing everything you can to yeah. get li- and in LA it's all about flagging it Black, off. Black. Yeah, which yeah. is a, a, a real interesting Experience. Carl Waters shot um, Papi Chulo, so we brought our camera department over from Ireland, okay. and so they um, got to experience that uh, distinction, and it was great. <laughs> more ND, more ND, more ND, and yeah, yeah just uh, it, things like you know getting sunburned, uh, which is a really big consideration, mm. right? Do you know, like, if you get sunstroke in the middle of a shoot and you lose the day, yeah, could that has that happened? I mean, it, theoretically, it could. You yeah, know, yeah. so everyone's going into hair and makeup and getting factor fifty and. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's really it's it's it, that's that part is very different. And then there are smaller, um, like interesting little differences, uh, like little cultural distinctions that you'd find. Um, Irish coups work extremely hard. I will say that, and right. you know, it's kind of um, it's interesting. But the hours are are an hour longer per day over there. It's twelve hours plus an hour travel time versus I think eleven here. I think so. I, I I need to check that, but um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Travel time is a much bigger deal there because your location can be an hour and twenty away from where you're where you wake up that morning. Right. And also, actors drive themselves to the set in LA, mm. which is mind blowing to me because here it's a driver who picks you up. Mm. I think that's part of the insurance bond, you know, because you don't want your actor wrapping his car around a tree at six in the morning when he's meant to be in hair and makeup. Right. Yeah. But over there, they drive themselves to set. And I remember the first day I seen Matt. Bomber show up in a car and getting out, and I was like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, "No, it's fine. This is what happens." You know? <laughs> no, it's not. I know it's crazy. You yeah, know, yeah. little things like that are. Right. Um, and the catering was extremely good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So you'd have companies that just cater for 
film sets and yeah, that kind of thing. And mm. they do good. And there's li- nice little traditions over there. Like Matt one day got a um, a coffee truck to come uh, to the set and, and bought a truck for an hour so everyone could have a nice coffee. Really? Yeah, like it's yeah. there's interesting cultural distinctions that are made over there versus over here. Okay. So yeah, it was a really great experience. It was yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, just to go back to, you worked on the sketch show, was that right? Uh, ba- your bad self. Bad self, yeah. yeah. How did that come about? So that was an interesting one. Um, we got, in 2000, late 2000, we got uh, a little bit of money to make a 15-minute not-for-broadcast pilot for RTE. Mm. Um, and we shot and delivered a 15-minute pilot. Mm-hmm. And then, and I remember the date because we were editing it when the Twin Towers fell. Wow. So it's always uh, burnt in my mind. that I know it was September 2011, when we, uh, 2001, when we delivered it. And then in 2010, we got the reply from RT. Wow. <laughs> it's like literally fully nine years later, going, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How about we get another 15 minute out of you and we'll bolt the two of them together and transmit it as a broadcast half hour and see how it goes. And if it goes well, we'll commission a series. So yeah. then we shot a second and put the two together and that was the pilot yeah, episode. 10 years older. Like, did it show? Yeah. Really? So like, like it looked like we spent a fortune on incredibly <laughs> subtle hair and makeup changes. Jesus. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Peter yeah. McDonald, Hugh O'Connor just looking a little bit older. Yeah. No more crow's feet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then we that, d- that broadcast in 2010 and then based right. on that broadcast doing uh, well and getting nice reviews then they commissioned a uh, season. So then you were would have been seen as a com- solid comedy writer then yeah absolutely yeah. yeah um yeah at the outside of things i was much more comedy comedy mm. much more overtly comedy the shorts uh that i did were all comedy and i mean your bad self was all comedy so yeah and mm. then as i've moved on i've kind of drifted more towards comedy drama like still yeah. having the funny in there but yeah yeah more kind of in towards the middle of the dial i'd say okay yeah and so the stag was that that with that were you approached with that one? or No, that was, I by this point, but even prior to, and I'd written a novel okay. after Your Bad Self, which yeah. Baker or published. And then I was kind of like, I really want to make a feature film. And I'd gotten feature films right up to the gate in terms of production finance beforehand, and they'd gone away for uh, various different reasons. And Peter MacDonald and I kind of cooked up this idea and said, listen, let's just write a spec. Let's not try and get... Uh, alone from the film board to develop this let's just write a film that's about our friends and us that we yeah. know how to make and that we know how to make for a small number and um, Peter will star in it I'll direct it and we'll co-write it Yeah. and so we just did that ourselves um, soup to nuts just wrote the thing yeah. and then uh, got uh, Rob and Rebecca a treasure to get on board and take it to the film board for production finance and they got and it's no mean feat on their part, you know, because if you haven't made a film, you haven't made a film. Yeah. Mm. But they got they got it over the line, and, and the film board came on board with production finance. That was that. How important do you think uh, Screen Ireland are generally to the Irish film industry, and how beneficial have they been to you overall? Amazing, <coughs> and and the the film industry would not exist without them. Like there is no other way of of cooking it, and it takes going to festivals in other uh, countries in the world to fully appreciate mm. the benefit of of uh, development loans for writing. You know, first draft loans for writers. Mm. Obviously, production money. The, the low budget feature scheme that they've run is is great. A- animation sector, like that that money that. Uh, and I should say that 
that investment by the taxpayer and by the government is repaid, I think, many times over, mm. both in terms of the cultural impact of our storytelling, but also the, in, yeah. in dollars and cents, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, I, don't, I don't think Screen Ireland's role can be underestimated. And I've been very uh, fortunate in terms of what I've gotten from them as well. Mm. And again, I'd like to think that I repaid that, but it's a... Uh, it's a great model that I think is really rewarding, mm. and, it, and and the reputation that it has uh, abroad is is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's come you, up yeah. absolutely. You go to America, and um, every independent producer knows about it. Everybody has an eye on a way to possibly come and you know <laughs> le- leverage some money by shooting here or by attaching a piece of cast. It's very much in the in the in, in foremost in in people's minds globally. You know. Yeah, yeah. And that's amazing for a country of our of our. So you find yourself lending a lot of people money in America. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) but not personally. (laughs) But no, it's fantastic. It's an amazing. uh, It's an amazing thing. And I mean, I obviously would say that this is not me uh, singing for my supper. It does happen to be true. And you Mm. know, uh, I think uh, I don't know. Particularly in the last, I would say, six or seven years, we're starting to see stories that aren't about Irishness mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, and, and that to me speaks of a certain confidence in our storytelling ability that is the result of years of support and of a, of a, of a certain kind of confidence within yeah. our business. It coming to fruition. Does, yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah. That we're not going for the American audience or we're not trying to do those. No, we have our own identity now. Yeah, we're going to yeah. push that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or, and that we're, we're willing to just have the um, presence of Irish creative talent be the definition of an Irish film, mm-hmm. which is, I think, absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I heard you talk before. I heard, yeah. uh, <laughs> I heard a rumour. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're about. You mentioned, <laughs> uh, you mentioned the importance of kind of Befriending actors and knowing actors. Mm. Uh, Do you like actors? We all have our crosses to bear, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so how, how does that? Like, I love actors, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're magic. How is that fed into your own career? You know, well, it's everything. Col- collaboration. I suppose that support structure as well. Yeah, and they want to work, uh, and you want to see your work made mm. so it's mutually beneficial but also actors are writers in the sense in the way that they improvise with you when you're down the pub I'm talking about this is not like <laughs> a work thing but like just conversationally they're creative people um, so so I think it, at the outset of one's career um, it's important to have that type of um, complementary yeah. creative voice near you and around you so you can just um, talk about things that, that are um, interesting to both of you and then when it comes to work you mm. know if you know actors, then you can write into the characteristics of theirs <laughs> that you like the best, and, and it, it's rewarding to you in that way. So it's been big for me, definitely. Um, and then when you get onto the set, I just think actors are are, are uh, acrobats, you know, to watch them do something. You know, with the best piece of writing, the best uh, screenplay will have moments that require some uh, bridging. There's always a join in a screenplay, Mm-hmm. Every couple of pages is a thing that has to be a certain um, give or a certain kind of leap of faith that has to be um, convinced in the audience by the actor. And the way that they do that is it, it is like a, an acrobat. The way they can get over that and, and through the way that they perform <laughs> during that join, mm. they can make you understand something that isn't actually on the page. I don't know yeah. if I'm expressing it exactly right, but I think it's a kind of magic when you see it work. Yeah, They have a way of um, of making your writing seem... Uh, fluid and uh, it's mm. just a joy yeah you know and you have bad days and you have people that you get on with 
less so and, and more so but that's all the experience yeah. of being on the film set which is just yeah. great you know? yeah and yeah you obviously understand the pressure like the, the film is so much on their backs as much as it is on the director but for the mm. how, know, do you, how do you how do you stay how do you stay calm in those circumstances I went blind during Handsome Devil. Uh, <laughs> temporarily went blind. Really? Yeah, we were shooting the cheerleading scene. I don't know uh, if you guys have seen it, but it's yeah, yeah. so 300 kids in a hall. Yeah. So already stress is off the right. scale. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like 15-year-old uh, boys. Shut so up! It's just, <laughs> and there's also all the, all the repressed trauma of being in school is being brought yeah, like, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being at the monitor and the first AD was like hoarse from screaming. But it was that thing of like, if you scream too often... It, mm. it then has no value. You mm. may as well just not say anything. Yeah. So he was just screaming. And that, so that was another level of stress in my ear. And the monitor was in the corner of the gym behind a little curtain. And I remember looking at it and I actually, <laughs> my vision wow. was blurry, uh, which I guess is like uh, something to do with my heart or my brain or whatever. <laughs> but I temporarily lost the ability to see. And that was um, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, no, I'm not, I'm better at managing stress. That was the most stressful situation I've been in, although there's been others. Um, I do it by um, reminding myself that it's my own fault. (laughs) Yeah, I put myself here. Yeah, 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 I wrote the thing. Yeah. I wrote the thing knowing that it was going to be a halfway up a mountain in November or knowing Y or knowing Z, you know, I, so, Mm -hmm. and also it's, it's mine. So if I can get through this thing, yeah, it'll be fine, you know, did. So obviously, Handsome Devil is your most personal film. Did that add to the stress? Did that make it? You know, are you able to be a bit more mercenary on other films? Well, they've all been personal in different ways. Yeah. The stag is very personal uh, in some of the characterizations, and Papichulo, when when you see it, and is uh, is deeply personal mm. too. So, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what, I, what, why, but I don't have any anxieties about the personal stuff. Okay. Right. I almost feel like if it, if it feels like I wateringly <laughs> you, then you're in. That's the sweet spot, right? You know. Yeah, and yeah. if you feel like you can't believe the level of embarrassment, then you know you're doing something good because you're exposing something, and so that's kind of great. I think that doesn't generate stress. But the first day of the first film, so the stag, the first day of the stag, we shot the fight scene between Andrew Scott's character and Hugh O'Connor's character, which is like a nine-page dialogue scene where everyone's naked and it's in the woods and it was <laughs> November. And the first shot of the first day, we had two step ladders, two, sorry, big ladders going up, excuse me, and leaning against the boughs of a tree yeah. in a forest. And we were an hour and a half late because of weather and bits and pieces. And we finally got the thing blocked and we were ready to go. And we shot, we ran a take and this is just the top shot. This is the establishing shot, you yeah. know. So we burned <laughs> yeah. a take and I was like, great, uh, let's get down off these fucking ladders and get into the singles and get going on this film. Yeah. And the, Peter Robertson, the DP, just turned to me and said, "That's we can't use any of that. And I was like, why can't we use it, Peter? And he's like, well, this is just fog on the lens. So we had to get down and clean oh. the lens and da-da-da-da, reset so a completely unusable uh, uh, long take so we had to get back up the ladders and go again <laughs> and we 10 seconds into the next take which is probably take 6 at this point yeah. and a dog so there were some ramblers nearby who had their dog off the lead and he ran into the set and just made shit of it for 5 minutes running around grabbing props like adorable Jack Russell <laughs> yeah. grabbing oh, like so a, cute. Yeah. yeah and people laughing and yeah <laughs> And I was up the ladder and I remember oh, here we go. honestly thinking at that point, like the mechanics of, of resigning from this film, how do I, like, 
can, how, I get, can I get out of this? Yeah. And I was thinking, well, so I honestly remember going through it going, I'd have to get down off the ladder. <laughs> and probably Peter Robertson would be the first person that I'd, I'd give my regrets to. Like shake his hand and just go, listen, that's, yeah. it's been great. Thanks. We had a great see run. I just, that Ronnie O'Sullivan thing, you know, when he just gave up during the game. Yeah, I've enough. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. See, good luck with everything. I'm, and it was away. only the, it was, the problem was, the, it was merely the fact that I couldn't see myself going around and explaining it to, 35 people <laughs> and that's why I'm now still the film director so I, was like, there, there, I couldn't not do stuck. it yeah, yeah completely oh. you're committed you know you're in the you're in to use the poker analogy you're, you're pot committed you have yeah. to Oof. so yeah but. so can you tell us a bit about your new film uh, Papi Chulo yes it's a it's a buddy movie um, and it's about the friendship between a lonely gay white weatherman in Los Angeles and a straight, married, middle-aged Latino migrant worker uh, whom he hires uh, to do some work on his deck after he is given gardening leave from work. And he's given gardening leave from work because he has a breakdown on camera at the very beginning of the film and is advised to go away and take care of himself. Mm -hmm. And he hires uh, Ernesto. Uh, He sees Ernesto outside the hardware store and he hires him to help him paint his deck. And then pretty soon the two men start to develop this weird kind of friendship based on sign language and music and food. They have no language in common. The migrant worker doesn't speak English and Sean, the weatherman, um, doesn't speak Spanish. But they develop this kind of weird, um, kind of odd couple friendship and they begin to hang out in L.A. Uh, (laughs) So it's a story about two guys kind of connecting and um, about uh, kind of two polarised cultures that are both marginalised within the city of L.A. finding Mm -hmm. some common ground. And did that spring from the... it, was it always, it always had to be said in America? Was it always conceived that way? Yeah, it was, you know, I spent so well, many... Well, there's no swimming pools to be cleaned in, in Ireland, yeah. is there? So No, there's no pools in this, though. <laughs> it's only a deck. Oh, okay. excuse yeah, me, yeah, pardon yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, it's uh, it, it's based on my being there and observing the, the interactions between the white middle-class community and the working-class Latino community right. in L.A., which is really interesting. Like, you see so often the white community leaning uh, extensively upon the working class Latino community for emotional support. Really? You know, and the lines between mm-hmm. them becoming very blurred in that regard. So, How, how so? Kind of? you see, like, an, I remember in, uh, I had an Airbnb in, in West Hollywood and in the neighbour was a very old uh, white guy in his probably late 70s or 80s and there was a gardener who was um, taking care of the garden f- for the whole unit. And this guy, every day that the gardener came, this guy would come down and sit on the steps and talk to the gardener for the entire time that the gardener was there, like for four hours every time. And he was obviously just very lonely, yeah, you know. And, yeah. and and so it's it's that's beyond transactional at that point. That's yeah. an emotional exchange. You yeah, know? he was counselling him. He was counselling him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was very Is little he working away while he's absolutely yeah. because the guy, the gardener, has somewhere to be. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, you hear countless stories of um, Latina um, nannies. Mm. who become fully embedded into a family but are very often working without benefits and without health insurance right. mm. and, and whose position in the family is emotionally central but financially absolutely marginal. So it's just interesting to kind of write into that thing and go, well, mm. what is yeah. correct and what is being assumed of people and so on, you know. Um, and also, I will say, optically, as a European, it's mad to drive by Home Depot on Sunset Boulevard in in kind of in Los Feliz and see uh, 30, 40, 50 Central and South American um, casual labourers standing outside looking for a day's work, you know? Yeah. It's just something you don't mm. see in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so it just, it's very striking, yeah. you know? 
Um, so I just wanted to write about that. And also yeah. I've been lonely in L.A. and uh, I I know the feeling. Yeah. And I wanted to write about that feeling. Yeah. So. And how important were your previous films in... So this is obviously a big leap forward in terms of big international kind of film. Mm. Um, say, having been to festivals, were you always, you know, trying to get the right meetings? And how did you kind of make that leap from, say, your handsome devil to uh, this this film shot in L.A.? Well, this is it's interesting because uh, optically it's a huge leap because it's an American film. Like when you see it, there's no Irish cast in it. Mm. Uh, it presents, I would say, as an American independent film, which mm. is very much the intention. But it's an Irish film. Like it's produced by Rob Walpole and Rebecca Flanagan. It's funded by the Irish Film Board. M- lots of the, like I said, the camera department and AD were Irish. So it has the optics of American uh, independent film, but it's almost like we went in there and stormed the barricades yeah. and made one of their <laughs> yeah. films and yeah. brought it home. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Um, we have some co-production finance from the UK, right, as well. Yeah. But so, um, it's not a, 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 it, it's not as it appears. Yeah. You know, it, which is great, and, I'm, and yeah. that makes me very proud. And and I think it's a very, it speaks to the abilities of the producers. Yeah. That they were able to put the film together in the way that they did, and it speaks to the support of Screen Ireland that they saw the value in this as mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. Irish story. You know, and also as a commercial entity. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're not a charity. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Yeah>. not always. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but it was lovely then to see it play uh, so well in Toronto and to have uh, the acknowledgement that it had a chance to work in uh, North America. Yeah. You yeah. know. So so it's it's been good in those terms. Yeah. And it it speaks to the there's progress there. There's more bravery, and we see you saw that a little bit with films like uh, Viva, mm. kind of you know having that bravery to go and make films yeah. in other places is a huge step forward. Yeah, we're, yeah. Al- we're allowed. We're allowed ago. to do that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and Room and... Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. It's, no, I think it's great and uh, I think it's great to see Irish voices um, asserting themselves kind of in a way that looks global. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, a question that comes up a lot here. Uh, is there any advice that you would give to yourself now if you... Uh, the, well, now the it's probably leave yeah. the studio <laughs> yeah. immediately. But what, <laughs> the version of yourself was the seventeen-year-old number. Yeah, before you know, when you were first rung on the ladder, kind yeah. of thing. <clears throat> um, uh, that seems like the kind of question that I should have an answer for. <laughs> or to aspiring filmmakers, kind of yeah. you know, starting out, kind of thing. Yeah. Because you know, primarily this is for kind of up-and-coming filmmakers. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I suppose this is a small thing, but it's also massive. Is um, if something seems like a film, it probably isn't. Uh, and I could have stood to learn that a lot earlier. Like uh, your dentist is filling the cavity in the back of your mouth, and he's got, I, I've got a good one for you. I have this. You know, everyone's got an idea. <laughs> for yeah, so yeah. he's like, it's about a guy, and he robs a bank. Da, 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 da. And and you're just like, if it's in your head, you're going. Yeah. And his whole pitch to you while he's drilling away is this thing from his life and he's like it's so like a film yeah and mm. if it's so like a film it probably isn't a film right because the the attempt or the the effort in good films or in most films i think is to try and make something that hasn't been made before that is some kind of yeah spin on the thing so if you do yeah. meet somebody who has had something happen in their life that is film like mm. i wouldn't rush to make it yeah i would try to make something that in your head you kind of go would struggle to uh, imagine as having been made before. Yeah. Okay, you may fail in that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I never want to see a fi- uh, another film about cops or the mafia. 
You know, right. I just mm. don't want to. I'm yeah. so exhausted with it. Yeah, and yeah. So I think... Um, you want it, that reaction where they read the blurb and go, ah, huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, mm. I, I think that's distinct from originality, actually. Mm. It, like, I, I'm not saying that that's the way to make it an original film, but I think it's a way to make an authentic film. Yeah. I think it's a way to engage your own passion in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you're writing about something that you think you haven't seen before, whether or not it has been made before is beside the point. It's the feeling that you have that you might be creating something original and true. Yeah, That's the only thing you need to try and get. I so think. it should be cryptic. It should be something to be deciphered. Or, or something that isn't... Um, uh, something that you can't kind of see. Not low-hanging fruit. Not low-hanging fruit, yeah. yeah. Just something that makes you feel something like, you know... I don't know, like, you know, at the outset of my career and I did a screenwriting course in college and everybody had to pitch their idea and there was lots of, you know, a guy is writing an email and then the monitor explodes and then the chopper comes and the guys jump off the chopper with the guns. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I know those are great films, I understand that, but, you know, some kind of truth um, as opposed to fact, you know, but some kind of truth, some kind of emotional truth has the greatest value, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so when your dentist tries to pitch you the film, just wait till the tools are out of your mouth. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, if it feels like a film, it probably isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm only saying that because I could have stood to learn that earlier. Yeah. You know. Uh, that's a great answer. We haven't got that one. Or, something, or anything like that, you know. That's and this is from a guy who works in genre, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. That dreaded word. But I do make comedy and yeah. comedy drama films. And, and this film, this new one, Papi Chilo, is a buddy comedy and... You know, Handsome Devil was coming of age, like in the John Hughes vein, and the stag yeah. was very clear in its genre. So yeah. I'm not speaking from a position of like uh, insane creativity in that regard or originality. Yeah. But the thing in the middle of it or the heart of it, yeah. I think has to feel unique. Um, so you're the opening film for uh, Diff. That's amazing. Yeah, that's very exciting. That's very good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back home. Bringing bringing the film back home. I have a ticket for each of you if you're ah, around. By the way, are you serious? Oh, yeah. That's really kind of you. Thank you so ah, much. Yeah, Thanks, yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Uh, is it nice to bring it home, or is it more? Is it is it scarier? Yeah, scarier. Is it? It's scarier than Toronto. Yeah, it's like there's Mrs. Magoo from down the street kind of thing might be there. Oh, is it that kind like of thing? We are no mugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 Nobody's yeah. coming up to you going, oh my God, I loved it. Yeah, They yeah. don't love it. They don't What's love your it. movie again? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Do not get that type of... Um, I'm sorry, that sounds like I'm dissing uh, Canadian audiences oh, or American yeah. audiences, and I'm not. I just think there is a certain clarity to the response that you get in Ireland. Yeah, a fair play or a well done goes a lot further yeah. here, doesn't it? It's an amazing experience. I haven't opened it before, but I've closed it for the last two, and it's it's a, a fantastic, fantastic festival. So, um, But I'm really nervous. But Matt uh, Bomer is coming over, and Alejandro Patino, cool. the two stars, so they are greatly looking forward to it, and um, that'll put manners on people. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an idea of release then, general release? Not on this side of the world. The, okay. the US release is in early May. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Will you be over there for that? Doing press and that kind of I'd thing? I'd say beforehand, yeah. Before, yeah. And we're hoping to have a trailer and poster and all that other stuff in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, I would imagine there's also some festival um, stuff between now and then. So yeah. it's playing in a, in a bunch of places uh, yeah. in between. So is it in, am I right in saying, is it in Berlin? Uh, or is no. it involved in Berlin? No, no sorry, Berlin is something today. now, isn't it? Berlin's yeah, speak. yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I thought it was something. I read something this morning. Anyway, no, sorry. It goes to Dublin and then Glasgow the next day. And then hey, okay. going to Prague and um, 
think Miami and Guadalajara. Love so it. loads of um, wow. international ones, which is good. Do you yeah. enjoy that? Do you enjoy going to these places? I won't be going to. Um, I'll be going to Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Here's something that's interesting for um, people at the outside of their careers is that you like. I can remember just seething with jealousy in my mid twenties about filmmakers getting to go to far flown places yeah. with their film and show it to an audience. Yeah. The minute you get the thing that you want, you don't want it anymore. Yeah, and it's not yeah, that I'm yeah. not grateful. It's just that time like yeah. Uh, yeah. All, all I want to do now is sit and write and right. work yeah. You just because you get the sense of time being so precious mm. right? whereas when you're younger you do want to bring it around the world for two years yeah, yeah. the dynamo is, is you know so I need to keep that going you do I need to keep working yeah, yeah. right I'm the kind of p- person who g- goes away and uh, gets the flu from the plane coming back <laughs> and is knocked on his ass for two weeks. So, you know, I just yeah, um, yeah. it's great. I'm so uh, pleased that it's getting to go, particularly to Guadalajara, because that's a really big one. But uh, right. and I would love to see how the Mexican audience respond to it, because obviously mm. that's fifty percent mm. of the film. Yeah. And Alejandro, the star, is going down, so he will report back. But um, I'm no longer able to chase uh, the film around the world mm. like on previous ones. And do you get? Do you have a say over trailers and promotion or is it kind of let the distribution company do their work or how does that work? No, you have input. I mean, uh, I'm because I think partly because of my commercial and and promo making Mm. background, I would have a real um, interest, let's say. I for that, you might say. Passion for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also similarly poster. So I think that those two elements are so vital in terms of how films are sold these days. So. Yeah, and I'm lucky in that my producers are uh, receptive to that type of input. So we three, Robert Beck and I, would present a united front in terms of negotiating with the distributors about mm. cutting on the trailer or tweaks yeah, yeah. on the poster and so on. Important to have that kind of relationship yeah. where people just don't take your input and go, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, we'll see about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, if you let us know uh, when it does get a release and we'll try and push it on. One last yeah. curveball question at the end. I love a curveball. Uh, who doesn't? Uh, is it ever finished? Have you ever been, are you ever truly happy with what, from uh, inception of the idea to what's, I, obviously it's, you know, it's, transitional and so always moving mm. moving parts and stuff mm. but have you got close to what you wanted to achieve on any of your films so f- thus far yeah I think the last this one Papi Chulo is the closest the, the closest uh, to your vision execution yeah. Yeah, yeah but the thing about writing which is fascinating and film is the same is that the minute like the very moment you start to type or to write you're actually corrupting something <laughs> the very moment you start to write you're corrupting an ideal yeah, that is in your head, and the ho- entire process of filmmaking through writing, shooting, casting, shooting, editing, grading, sound mixing is, is an attempt to return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not actually on an outward journey. You're so it's that to tug of war trying to get it back to that creative place or that that, that emotional truth of yeah. the start. And it's as ephemeral or as elusive as a dream in the sense that, you know, in the moments after you wake up from an amazing dream, you're like, oh, that's everything. And you start to write it down <laughs> and it's, just, it's going through your fingers already. Yeah, yeah. And that's what a perfect film is. Like it's, you know, you know it's perfect in your head and the minute you start to, to try and go up the hill towards making it, you're ruining it. Tainted, so it's all tainted. It's all a bag of shite. It's all tainted. Like every, <laughs> every every film is a, is a corrupted um, uh, piece of... of uh, 
effort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's but such an optimistic th- uh, thing to yeah, leave yeah. with, your, with yeah. your listeners, I feel. <laughs> no, but, you know, people need to know kind of, you know, the, the realities and eventualities of the creative process. Yeah. You know? And it's, I would imagine, not that I've been in that position, that it's, you know, w- it must be all the more satisfying when it gets closer to what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Or you what you imagine, envisage it to be. Absolutely. There are moments, like uh, there was a moment on Papi Chula that was exactly uh, uh, what I imagined and then maybe even exceeded and I was like, wow. that is, and then it's gone. That's it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it must be pretty special. But there's another poker phrase that's really helpful, I think, to a filmmaker and that is hang on tightly, let go lightly, which is to say you have your... Um, Ideas. You have your money in the pot, yeah, yeah. Um, or you have your money in front of you, I should say. And and this is your idea, and you should do everything you can to protect it. But once it goes into the pot in the middle, it's not yours anymore. So if it's if it, if the idea isn't working, let it go and go mm. somewhere else. Like you can stand on a set with a very um, clear vision of what you want, but if it starts raining or the actor is sick or whatever the hundred other things yeah. are that change the idea, don't hold on to the original thing. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to to solve it, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know it's it's hard to 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 do, but you have to be flexible in, ter- in that regard. Does that mm. make any? No, it does, does yeah, absolutely. Yeah, be flexible. Yeah, because yeah, because you know, all the money in the world won't um, prevent the the weird little things from happening. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you kind of have to embrace them. You do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sometimes they make the the best things of all you know yeah. and then you can retrospectively go yeah I always thought that was going to <laughs> yeah. happen yeah nobody knows nobody has to see your mistakes no or your, yeah, your, never no you, what a wonderful fluke yeah <laughs> oh, you, you enjoyed that good yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well listen thank you so much for coming in that was very enjoyable you're welcome nice Thanks to talk to you cheers, cheers.